Welcome to the adventures of the Yellow Peril and Magical Negro. Well, it looks like this week we got involved into heavy media times. Should uh, I should I briefly touch on Daredevil before we go into our Steven Universisms? I haven't even gone to Daredevil yet, but please touch on it because I've been seeing. I felt mixed. like I saw really positive stuff when people started watching it, and it, it has since turned very negative on my it, Twitter it, timeline. It's really mixed. Um, like the action scenes are very good. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as street level superheroes, it does that pretty well. Okay. They do a pretty excellent, you know hero-villain-mirroring kind of thing, that okay. works out pretty well. The supporting cast is very strong. So all these right. are all the things, and it's positive, right? Um, the early cinematography is very good. But racially sketchy. So Ooh. racially sketchy. Um, it's interesting because basically... Now, I don't speak... You know, I only speak English, but I've heard enough other languages that I can tell a lot of times when something don't sound right. Mm-hmm. And what it is, is basically, um, the Spanish sounded terrible, and I talked to one of my friends who speaks Spanish, he's like, no, 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 her Spanish is fine, but it's spoken very slowly and simply, as if it was through a speaking spell. And this is a woman who's supposed to be a native Guatemalan, uh... who isn't, you know, who can, can't speak a lot of English. So I'm sitting here like, so why would her Spanish be like this? And then there's, like, Chinese, that's like, it's clear the, the actress that they have. Speaks a southern dialect, but they have her speaking Mandarin. But the part that's more sketchy to me is that these characters are speaking these other languages a lot of times without subtitles. Mm-hmm. And it only really kind of serves to other them. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no reason for them not to speak English, right? Like, it's not like there's hidden information being traded back and forth or, like, meaningful mistranslation, yeah. right? And if there is, you would give subtitles so people could go, Oh, they're saying this, but you're telling them this, right? Yeah. So, say I don't do any of that. The only people who really get consistent subtitles are the uh, Russians. And the only reason I can imagine, other reason I can imagine to have your characters uh, speak to each other in that language is for cultural context and to give some, like, sort of bonding and history of this family, in which case you would have subtitles as well. You wouldn't have right. it. Right, othering. that happens for the Russians. Yeah, you wouldn't have um, it be othering by having no subtitles and have the audience just right. And and there's a whole bunch on. of there's a whole bunch of exotification. A ninja uh-huh. shows up, which oh, I mean, ninja. which I mean, could if you didn't have all these other problems, I would just be like, uh-huh. okay, you know, whatever. But basically, the the Chinese are you know mysterious, and the Japanese are screaming about honor. And that's what happens. And then, um, at one episode, there's basically who I, the, the character Stick, who I call, excuse me, Frank Miller's, uh, self-insert character. Oh, Jesus. And so, like, that was just, uh, so, there's, yeah, you know, I, I gave it the 3 out of 5, but I feel like it's kind of sliding more towards 2.5 out of 5 now I think back on it. Yeah. But, eh, it was alright, you know. It, it's definitely problematic, but it yeah. was alright. See, and I am holding out for AKA Jessica Jones. That's the series I'm looking forward to. That's the one I want to see. Yeah. Um, if I have to wade through this white boy centered dreck of Daredevil to get to that and get to Luke Cage. Iron Fist. See, Iron Fist is already sketchy, but this part just makes me let go. 
<laughs> yeah, that might be a breaking point. We'll see what they do with Iron Fist. Yeah, I figure Iron Fist will get its own Why Must It Be episode after it comes out for me. Yeah. <laughs> but um, mm. we both went and binged on uh, Steven Universe, apparently. Yes. Um, I am all caught up except for the latest episode. And I'm sure this will, you know, we'll have to go in depth on by itself at some point. But yes, um, I think, like, I tell most people who haven't seen it yet, it's like the first ten episodes are kind of just like, I feel like, eh, you know, oh, he's a kid, he's being goofy, and weird stuff's happening. And it's like, it, it just was like, didn't do much for me. Mm-hmm. But once we start getting into, like, the larger drama, then things become real interesting. Right. Yes. Um, I think what's also interesting is the amount to which the characters are, like, clearly dealing with intense grief and PTSD and all kinds mm-hmm. of issues. And you're like, and it's like, oh, you guys have superpowers and you're aliens and you don't know how, how human society works, but maybe some therapy would be good for you, right? Like, oh, I think therapy would definitely be good for them. Right. For all of them. Right. Um, yeah, I binged on it. It was very interesting. I'm super interested in the overarching story. Yeah. I'm super interested in the gem homeworld. I, you know, spoiler alert, if you're not caught up, I guess. Um, I, I love Lapis Lazuli. Yes. I hope she comes back. Yeah. Um, yeah, I actually am very, very fascinated by the world they're building. Yeah. And, um, you know, here's the here's the little mini theory I, I developed in my head. There are only 15 people in Beach City. Yeah, see, see, that's the thing I've been, like, watching, and I've been like, well, you guys do have cars and food coming from somewhere. Exactly. And, you know, you talk about there being these other cities, but it just seems, you do have TV, you but know. it seems sort of post-apocalyptic. Right. And so I can't help but wonder a little bit what year we're supposed to be in. Now, right. this is supposed to be 6,000 years after the gems came here and started fucking with us. Right. But, you know... And you guys have cell phones. So, I mean, it's like there's all these modern trappings that would make you say, we have to have a full-functioning society somewhere for this to work. But sort of after seeing Rose's creepy room... I kind of wonder what is the limit to Rose's powers and what did she set up? Yeah. Yeah. Rose don't play. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's fascinating that when you get to... Because here's, here's... Okay, so let's get deep geek. Um, <laughs> when, when Jasper appears to fight the Crystal Gems, there's a reference she makes where she says, One defective pearl. Mm-hmm. Which says to me that there are multiples of all of these jewels. Right. That there's not just, you know, one pearl or one ruby or one sapphire. There might just be one garnet, because that's a ruby and sapphire fused. Right. But, you know, these are sort of... I don't want to say conveyor belt line made, but almost like that. This is the theory I've seen other people talk about, too. Yeah. They said, yeah, there may be... There may be many of them, and there, people went as far as to conjecture, well, maybe they are specific, uh, like robots, like people are put into casts. Yeah. Right? And, you know, we don't know, right? Well, and what I'm I'm very interested in is then why are they so desperate to get Rose Quartz? Right. 
and the fact that she's basically a general that's been respected for over six six thousand years. Yeah, like like to the point where she takes precedence over any other mission. Right. Once they when they think Steven is her, they're like, no, we're going back home now. Right. So I can't wait for more. I'm so glad we're in the second season. Yeah. Um, considering how the first season ended, I'm sure we're going to get some answers that are going to be yeah open up more questions, but still be. Really fucking interesting. Here's my uh, fan theory of Rose's of one of Rose's powers. Uh-huh. I think she can see you how you see yourself in your best light. Mm-hmm. Because that whole episode where she meets Greg, yeah, how it opens, and I think that kind of plays into a little bit to how Steven treats people. Yeah, because a lot of people you initially meet, you're like you're kind of a jerk, right? And uh-huh. Steven's cool with them, and like part of that could be like latchkey kid who has no good. Like, boundaries yes. and flagging. But it could also be, it's like, you know, actually he can see what is good in you, which is part of that whole Rose thing, right? Well, I also just enjoy Steven's reactions to certain things. Um, when he escapes from the cell on the ship, and he's just like, I'm out! Woo! <laughs> I'm just like, alright, I'm excited for you, Steven. I'm, I'm very happy for you. Um, so, yeah, I thought that the show's very interesting. Um, the queerness of the show is very interesting. Yeah. Um, I'm, I know you said there was a fan theory that Lars is, is trans. Is trans. Um, I don't know, but Lars has some very interesting reactions to different characters. Like, yes. now that, now that I'm looking at, in this most recent episode, I was kind of like, what's going on there? <laughs> so, well, yeah. Yeah, and, um, I'm fascinated by his, uh, Lars's relationship with Sadie. Yeah. Which is interesting, um, especially in the context of the rest of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Lars's relationship with Ronaldo. Mm-hmm. Um, they show he's, uh, he clearly has some kind of connection or thing going on with the mayor's son. Oh, um. I forget his name. The dude Buck. with glasses, Buck, yeah. Buck Dewey. Yeah. Um. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Some of the names on this show. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, no, I'm I'm very fascinated to see where it goes from here. I'm, you know, the little fun throwaway episodes are fun and have some good stuff in them sometimes. Yeah. But a lot of time I'm like, eh. But the interesting thing is sometimes you get halfway through what you think is the throwaway episode. And then some shit happens. And some shit goes down. Right. Like you got halfway through that Joyride episode and then all of a sudden it was like Paradox Escape Pod, and she was, and it was like, oh, okay, wait a minute. For me, it was the garage, clean out the garage. Oh that my was God. so fucked up. Okay, like, so, <laughs> we have to pause to talk about this episode. <laughs> because when they clean out that storage garage, and they find that, that um, tape series, Low Butler, which number one, right, already, I watched the little, the little clip they show you of Low Butler, and I'm like, I'm disturbed. Right. Well, this read so much to me as, um, what was that show in the 80s? Like, was it Silver Spoons or... Belvedere. One of those. It felt like they mashed them both together, right? Yeah. Except, except at least they had enough sense, don't make the weird character black. Like, yeah. like, <laughs> like, because that was kind of, you know, the thing for Silver... Or was it Silver Spoons? One of those. No, I think it was Silver Spoons is the one you're thinking of. I confused them all. Uh, there was a whole lot of old white British well, there, I remember Belvedere was the old... There, then there was, like, some other there one. There was Benson. Was it Benson? I might be thinking of Benson. Benson was an older black guy, I'm pretty sure. There was too many damn rich people. And then there was, well, like, you know, at least in Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, 
the family was black too. Right. I, I mean, and here on this podcast, we prefer the first Viv. Just, yeah. Yeah. Come on. Um, but yeah, no, Steven Universe is really interesting. In that episode specifically, when you get to the end of it, holy shit balls. Right. Now, Amethyst obviously had some sort of friendship going with Greg. Yeah, I think they had a fling. Do you think they actually had a fling? I think they had a fling. Um, I think they had a fling specifically because near the beginning, she's, when he's like, oh, you don't want to see all stuff, and she's like, oh, it's, I've seen your junk before. Like, because when that came across the first time, I was like, is that just, like, a joke joke? But then, I'll, then at the end, I was like, oh. And especially when she does her transformation. She does that transfer that trans- that's a dark moment for Amethyst. Number yeah. one. But I don't know if I believe that they had a fling. I still think that they were just friends. I think Amethyst because when we get the flashback episode, uh-huh. I don't think Amethyst has any friends. I don't think she's met anyone but the- but the other gems. Mm-hmm. So she has this intense reaction to Greg as just another person. And when she's yelling at him at the end of that garage episode, she's like, I was your friend before her. Mm. And then you left me behind. And I think what it is, is that... Because she technically meets him first. She technically meets him first, maybe. They become friends. And when his relationship with Rose Quartz becomes deeper, of course he's spending more time. Well, actually, no, she didn't technically. No, she, because Rose Quartz met him at the concert. Right. But, you know, she... She obviously is more interested in befriending him than Garnet or Pearl have any interest in. Yeah, yeah. It's obvious they became friends, and obviously when his relationship with, like, Rose Corsets deepened, well, see, he I, had less time for her. My theory was that it's a fling, because I think it was she died, and then this was their only connection back to Rose. You're Rose's closest lover. You're Rose's, like, you... But like, I, that transformation sequence just creeped me out and made me say, something's going on there. Which transformation sequence? When she turns into Rose. Oh, no, that was freaky. That was very, very Like, freaky. that made me say, did you try to do this before? Like, that's Ooh. the thing that went through my head. I was like, I was like... Maybe after Rose died. I can yeah, see that happen. Yeah, that's why I was like, something, something fucked up's happening here. Something dark. Um, that, yeah, because Pearl, Pearl and Garnet do say they just suddenly stopped watching that show together. Yeah. Um, and it was also this way of sort of like that, you know, they both had this sort of like, that was weird. Right, yeah. like Pearl's kind of like, oh, that was weird. Yeah, they watched this for a week and then kind of disappeared. And I was kind of like, hmm. Okay, but also, Pearl and Rose Quartz, are they lovers, or did Pearl have, like, an unrequited crush? I don't know. Like, at first I thought they were lovers, yes. but by the, you know, by the most recent episode, I'm kind of like, hmm. Because the way they all laughed when she was like, well, I can sing too. Yeah, exactly. Kind of like, That's what made me think maybe it was unrequited. Which I don't is know. Fucked up and intense. Because right? the reason I thought it was, you know, mutual in the first one is that Rose calls her my pearl. And then they have uh, when they were trying to train Steven in the dance sequence. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh my god. And that episode where you find out she's pulling an Edward to his Bella, that she watches Steven while he sleeps, like all that was the time. So not okay. So I was not like, okay. no, no, no. No, 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 I no. mean, at least with Garnet, you're like, okay, you're looking into the future. It's not like you're obsessively watching me to watch me. Like, yeah. And, I mean, Garnet is... Garnet is fabulous. Let's yes. just say that. Yeah. Um, okay. Yes. I guess, I guess that was all of this is my shit. Wasn't it? <laughs> yes, it was. Well, Steven Universe, it's fabulous. Um, I'm anxious to see more. 
what was... Quick pause. What the fuck was that crossover with Uncle Grandpa? I skipped that shit. I mean... I, I was like, I'll just Wikipedia. No, I, I feel like you should watch it because there are some moments... <laughs> there are some moments that are fucking hilarious. Because when the Crystal Gems just decide to kill him... And oh, they have to go on the run. <laughs> I did not see that. See, I stopped like three minutes. In. I was like, "This is this is no. bullshit." At the point where the crystal gems show up, they decide he's some sort of reality warping entity, and that they need to murder him. So they're nice. just running after him to kill him. It's got some great moments, um, but it was weird. It was just such a weird crossover. Yeah, I was like, it was as if like Steven Universe had crossed over with Rick and Morty. I was like, why is this happening? Who? Yeah. Who approved this on Cartoon Network? Yeah, that's it's not just good. weird. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so... So, shall we go to our topic? Yes. Portal uh, Fantasies. Our main topic is Portal Fantasies. Ooh. Oh. Um, ooh, I wrote down a bunch of stuff. I mean, we can go to the classic first, because I get... Well, depends on what you mean by classic. So, are you thinking of, like, um... You're thinking of, like, uh... I think the Lion, West. Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe. Like well, Lion. I think that's, um... Or are you thinking of Oz? I was thinking of Oz. Okay. As the Western sort of classic portal fantasy. And um, Alice in Wonderland. And Alice in Wonderland. Um, which is interesting, because I think that, uh... The West has a fascinating fascination with women in portal fantasy. Yes. It's not... I mean, men go through them, too, but the sort of quintessential stories are always young girls going through portals. Well, I think especially since, like, we, you know, very old tales of, like, falling into the fey world. Like, yeah. Like, you know, middle, you know, middle ages, they were fascinated in that. But that was, you know, I feel kind of really more horror. <laughs> but, yeah. Well, and also that um, in all of these, the immediate reaction is to come home or to want to come home. Right. Which, you know, I... um. Catherine Valente, I think, has a wonderful piece somewhere. If I can find it, I'll link it in the show notes. Okay. Um, that is about portal fantasies, and specifically always wanting to say, why would you want to come back? You're you're living in some horrible Dust Bowl era right now. You don't have, like, money. You don't have food. You don't have any of these things. Why would you want to come back from this colorful, amazing land? Right. Where you actually might be powerful. Right. Um, which is exactly how I always felt about Portal Fantasies. Like, whenever they were like, we must return home, I'm like, why? There's a few that I was like, okay, like, like, Labyrinth. Well, Labyrinth, that world wasn't gonna be... Right, like, there's worlds you go, "Mm mm-mm, I need to get out. But But most of the time... As a young queer man with, um... With uh, David Bowie in those pants, there was a reason to stay. Oh, yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, you could have gone either way on Labyrinth, but I get what you mean. But, yeah, I mean, there's just so many, like, so many of them where it's like, you go to a world where you have magic, you go to the world where you don't age. Oh, yeah, Peter Pan being another portal fantasy, right? I always, okay, so for me, Peter Pan was dark. Yes, being kidnapped and um, taken to a world where the children don't age and everyone's kind of having an unending war with pirates and crocodiles. Right? And, and I feel like sort of accepted that as like de rigueur. And I was like, no, 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 no. There's something really wrong about this. Yeah, see, for me, it was always one of those things where I always would stop and go, so how long have you been doing this? How long have you been fighting? Yeah. Right. That's a disturbing one. Um, 
Yeah. Um, but yeah, they always have stuff like that. And then I think we got our, uh, for me, it was a bunch of 80s movies when I really, you know, Labyrinth. Labyrinth. Um, Never Ending Story. Oh, Bastion. Yeah. And Detreyu. Oh, the horse scene. Now, there is a whole generation. Traumatized. Traumatized, for which that horse scene is seminal. Someone growing up. Someone I know had on their Tumblr as their header the picture of the horse and, like, Atreyu crying. And then someone's like, so, someone had sent them the ask, like, what, what's that in your header? And they're like, clearly a generation gap. And I was like, yes! If you are of a certain age, Atreyu going through the swamp with that horse is where you learned that shit went wrong. And you, it wasn't nice people sometimes had horrible things happen to them. And the thing is, I rewatched it just last year. Oh, wow. I thought the horse scene was later in the movie. I thought it was like, like, oh my god, climactic, you know, not climactic, but like towards the end. That shit happened early. They just slapped you in the face like, oh, magical world, we're on adventure. Oh my god, my horse, I'm like, but, but, yeah. and, And then the other thing was that, um, because of that, the only thing that sells it is is the actor. The guy playing yeah. Atreyu. Like, you, it's not like you had this big adventure with the horse. He just sells you on how much it's fucked up this horse is dying. And as kids, you're just sitting there crying with him. Yeah. I mean, Never Ending Story was a trip. It was a great, um, it was a really great movie, I feel like. But, uh, that kid also got his arm broke. And, uh, apparently the, the director was kind of, uh, not great toward the actors. Yeah, you know, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of directors are assholes. Let's just say that straight out the gate. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, like, there's a scene where he's walking along and, like, his arm is cut, and you, you, it's not makeup. His arm got cut. Like, you know, I'm just looking at, like... Because it was filmed in, like, Germany or somewhere where they where didn't, they have, didn't have, have the same Exactly, laws. of yeah. course, of yeah. course. No, not cute. So, yeah, folks, deregulation. That's, you know, child labor and abuse. Awesome. Right, guys? Okay. Yeah, that's <laughs> what we want out of life. Um, so I support The NeverEnding Story as a great portal fantasy. Yeah. Um, and then I think for this generation, their their ongoing portal fantasy was Harry Potter. Harry Potter. I don't really fully think of it that way because the team crosses back and forth a lot. Yeah. But you got to get on the magic train and you got to go to the magic school where magic shit is normal. It's more of a hidden world, but I get what you're saying. Because you do have to sort of cross over. um, Whether it's through the pub, or through, like, the train, or through, like, a phone booth. You somehow have to make this transition into the magical world. It's not just there. Um, Yeah, Harry Potter. Harry Potter is um, a series that I read. (laughs) I, I went to the I went to the parties for books five six and seven. Uh-huh. I went to like the midnight parties and picked up my book and started reading right away. I was there. Um, there's some great ideas in them. There's also a lot of stuff that gets dropped. Yeah, that's actually really interesting about labor and gender and uh, race. Yeah, um, that you know J.K. Rowling sort of brings up and then never brings to fruition. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's a big portal, portalish fantasy. I think for uh, the generation coming up now. 
Yeah. Especially because they grew up with it. The books aged as they did, which yeah. was, you know, a genius sell. Most people don't do that. Yeah. Um, Coraline. Oh, Coraline. I love Coraline. It's, I, I think the one thing I really love in Pearl Fantasy is when you balance the wonder and the horror. I agree. But oh my here's my Coraline rant, as I always say about Coraline. What in the fuck did that villain want? Why did she want children's eyes? Just for they're fun? Pretty. <laughs> just to make jewelry? As a snack? Just tell me why. Just give me a reason. Instead, it was just like, it relied maybe, on us. Maybe children's eyes are like baking soda. You can use it for everything. <laughs> well, you can tell me, tell me that. Tell me they're delicious like baby bacon. At least... I'm, at least uh, Gargamel told us what he was trying to do with the Smurfs. So, okay, right? Fair least, enough. Fair you know, enough. that's all I wanted to know, because I just felt like, I don't do well when the villain's motivation is, they're villainous. And I'm like, uh, 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 okay, like, why is she sucking out children's eyes? Like, is is she just hungry for a snack? That's fine. Just let me know. Um, but speaking of sort of, of Neil Gaiman. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, you know, most people know I'm not a huge Gaiman fan. Yeah. But, um, one of the things I do adore from him is Mirror Mask. That was going to be one I was going to bring up. Yes. I love that film. I think it's fantastic and dark and... Has great music. Has great music and it's chilling. Um, I mean, and it's interesting because Mirror Mask is one of the ones where you understand her desire to come back. Number one, the world is dark that she's traveled into. It's people not, are getting eaten. People are getting eaten. Those creepy cats with the human faces are not friendly. No. Um, and her mama is sick. Yeah, and then she's got demon mom in this world. Like, well, she's got demon mom, and she can see through the mirror like how demon her is like treating her father. Yeah. Which, Mirror Mask is one of the few um, portal fantasies, I think, that gives you a... Um, a sort of ambiguity to it. Yes. You're not sure that she's in a portal. This yes. is totally possibly just a visualization of her, her depression and anger and rage over her mother getting sick. Right. Which is fascinating. Right. Um, I think it's presented as like, yeah, maybe she's in another world and a demon has taken her skin, or maybe she, this is just a metaphor for how she feels right now. Yeah. Um, which is fantastic. I just, I thought Mirror Mask was great. It has that one musical sequence with the with the boxes. Yes. It is the best. Yes. One of the best things ever filmed, in my opinion. Yeah, once, once that happened, I already was like, there is at least three or four friends who must see this movie now. Once they started, those robotic women started singing The Carpenters, I was like, it's all It's because they had this particular creepy Twitter and Twitch to their movement, and they're trying to be, like, all sensuous and beautiful, but it's just like... Uh, oh my god, it was so good. Um, yes. Yeah, so Mirror Mask is one of my all-time favorite portal fantasies. Um, um, Amulet. Amulet. Uh, really great uh, graphic novel graphic series. Novel series. Uh, Amulet, I think, is really amazing as a portal fantasy because it's not just one character. Um, it's the family. Yeah. The whole family gets brought through the mother, the, the daughter, brother. and the son. Yep. And uh, the... The fact is, the daughter still remains the primary protagonist. But the son is not... Useless. Useless. He's not an accessory. 
Like her he brother doesn't turn evil and sell out the family for some goddamn candy. Right? Oh. <laughs> Talk about bad motivations there. I mean, I was like I was seven years old. I ate tons of candy. I said, I love candy, but what the fuck is wrong with you? Right? You know, I'm not even gonna say what I wanna say right now. But you know yeah. you can feel it in my in my soul. Um Amulet. Yeah, no, I, I love it. You know, there's been rumors for years. They were going to make it into a film with Willow Smith and Jaden Smith. Oh, but they're aging out of that. But they're definitely aging out of that. Um, I was delighted with the idea that they would make these two children brown. Yeah. I just, I love that series. But you know what I just thought of? Um, one thing that doesn't, I guess it, do, it does not get classified as a portal fantasy. What's that? As it should, I think. John Carter of Mars. Mm, that makes sense. He crosses through a portal. And he's on a Mars, and let, you know, at the yeah. time, that was, let's not say that was a good theory about what was on Mars, but it was a theory. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, it, yeah, right, yeah. there was a time yeah. where we didn't know what the hell was on other planets, and it was like, you know, maybe it is like this. Entire civilization. Exactly. Yeah. At this point, we know that's not true, or yeah, yeah. are reasonably sure where that's not true. Yeah, unless there's, unless aliens have built a giant underground society, which I'm managed, not discounting. I managed to hide all traces of thermal, you know, like, you know. But hey. Lord knows, I've never been on every planet. I haven't walked on every on every surface. But um, we know that's not true now, for the most part. So John Carter of Mars can legitimately be read as a fantasy, yeah, just with a planet that resembles Mars in terms of coloration, right? Um, now John Carter of Mars is problematic. Yes. Um. I mean, you there's know, the whole Indian stuff in the beginning, yeah. <laughs> right? Which right away, yeah. like, oh, native folk, uh, just this is what we're doing, okay? Um, and you know, I I understand when people are like, <laughs> well, no, I don't understand. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> let's not lie. People are like, well, you know, it's a product of its time. Number one, I find that to be bullshit because in any time period, you can find someone who's doing better. Right. So, you know, you didn't try. And that's fine if you like, didn't Like, try. we could talk about special effects being a product of its time. Yeah. Right? Or outdated language, right? Exactly. Like, we, we do not get into our horseless carriages anymore, right? But, like, that's... <laughs> that's how we talk about it. Not, like, opinions These people that, aren't human, right? Exactly. Yeah. So that's a big problem. Um, oh. um, spirited away. Oh, no. Yeah. No. That's a that's that's a portal fantasy. It's so sad. Yeah, I mean they do I, get out. Yeah, don't even try with that bullshit. <laughs> don't even They try. get out many years later. Oh my god. Like, their car is covered in vines, so God knows how long they've been away. Don't even try. <laughs> they do get out. Uh uh-uh. uh. Uh uh. Don't don't even with that. <laughs> That's some. Oh, that's what I. What I. Another thing I really enjoy with the portal fantasies is the ambiguity. That there's some things you're just like, what just happened there, or like, what's your life going to be like? Like, what is going on? Yeah, yeah. Well, and the interesting thing is that, yeah, legitimately, if you're going to talk about portal fantasies, it's about like people going through a portal to another world. But we've brought up Harry Potter, and on top of that. um... There are a number of fantasies that I think could be termed portal fantasies where you have to cross a wall. Mm. 
<coughs> excuse me. You have to cross a border. You have to somehow go to some place special or yeah. Right? Your place is fairly normal, right? But over this wall is where the magic lives, right? Which I think is is its own take on a portal fantasy in its own way, right? It's also this interesting idea of sort of like um, people have this idea of sort of boundaries and uh, you know holy or unholy and uh, just magical areas, right? Places where the rules don't apply. Yeah. Yeah. Places where your id can be free in, in many cases. I mean... And sometimes not for the best. Not for the best. <laughs> like, we touched on Alice in Wonderland, but the thing that I remember about Alice in Wonderland, and many other people don't remember this, is the four-hour special that, oh, yes, I used to watch over and over with Carol Channing as the white, white witch who did a little song. And it, I think it might have been Alice in Wonderland and the Jabberwocky combined. But it was okay. long, and it was, it was fantastic. Four damn hours. Yes, and I watched it over and over, and I don't think you can find a copy of it anymore. But I loved Alice in Wonderland. I watched the Disney TV show, even, mm-hmm. where she went back and forth through the closet. And I liked the Disney TV show for exactly that reason. She got to go back and forth. Right. She wasn't trapped in one world or the other. Right. Like, it was a progression of, you get to visit both. Right. And be of both. My 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 favorite portal fantasy, which did I make you read this? Palimpsest by No No. Palimpsest by Catherine Valente. Haven't read that yet. I think I lent my copy to my friend Meg, and she has never given it back. Which I understand with this book because it's that good. Um, It is about four people who get taken to another world, and the way you go to this other world is you fuck someone. And they, like, I mean, like, let's just be blunt about it. Okay. Now, you can't just fuck anyone. I mean, you can. Lord knows. But, um, see, what happens is, if you fuck someone who's been to this place, they have a mark on their body that looks like a tattoo, or looks like... Okay. And it's a piece of a map. Okay. And that's the place you end up in the other world when you fuck these people. Okay. And then, because <laughs> they went there, and they got a tattoo, does that mean you come back with the tattoo? So it's basically like a Portal Fantasy STD, exactly. but like a positive STD, because it lets you go to magical places. Well, and it's explored in, like, weird ways, too. Okay. Like, not everything is positive by any means. Okay. Um, so you, you get, in, you encounter four people who are going through it. Um, lesbian beekeeper um, in San Francisco, an Italian um, art, I forget what he does, book restore mm. or something like that. A Russian um, locksmith in New York, I want to say. Okay. And a young Japanese student in um, Tokyo. Okay. And the thing is, the four of them are bound their first night there together as a group. And so they're trying to find each other in the real world so they can move there permanently. Okay. Um, It's just a really fascinating take on the portal fantasy. It deconstructs a lot of um, sort of tropes about the portal fantasy. Mm -hmm. And also... When you have this world, this world is not a peaceful world. Shit goes down. People take damage that they show in the real world. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's good, though. It's interesting because I think that's one of the things that's become, um, like, kind of related is there's a lot of the uh, magical girl stuff that involves they go to, you know, certain alternate worlds to do their (laughs) fights um, and fight the monsters and stuff. And it's, it's kind of interesting to see how common that's become. Well, I think that's kind of a 
standard anime thing now. You know, if you're going to have, like, supernatural fights in the real world, it happens in, like, some side dimension to the real world. Yeah. Yeah. I think maybe that's another thing that actually probably is required to make it a good Portal Fantasy, is there has to be an exploration of this this other world. It can't just be like, well, we just hop there to fight, right? Yeah. Because it's not actually, like, you don't really get to see it as a world. It's just sort of like a fight set. Yeah. And I mean, exploration of the other culture of the Portal Fantasy is what interests me the most. Mm. That's what I want to see, is what is the other world like? Right. Including if it's just, like, crazy (laughs) symbology. (laughs) Like... Even then, I yeah, mean, we yeah. both uh, we both read that web comic. Um, what Earthworld? Earthworld. Yeah, where a lot of it was symbol, symbol, and like yeah, tied into gaming and all this kind of stuff, and it was fascinating. Yeah, I mean, I still love the Michael Jackson fight scene. Yes. So, dance fight, dance fights. I mean, Justin Timberlake and Britney Spears did it. Why can't we? <laughs> Sometimes you just have to fight on the dance floor. Um, yeah. Those are the Portal Fantasies I got in my... Oh, and Unlondon, which I mentioned before. Yes, yes. Unlondon, which and is... thank you um, for loading that to me. That was a really good book. You're welcome. Yeah. I'm glad you liked it. Um, the one issue I probably have with Unlondon, as much as I do enjoy that book, mm-hmm. is that it does fall into the tropes that it says it is disrupting. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's like... No, it's not the chosen girl, it's the unchosen girl, but she's still... The chosen girl, like, yeah. Exactly. Whatever you call her, she still falls into the trope of the chosen one. Yeah. Um, Which I think is very different from a hero who... Inspires people. Inspires people and chooses to be a hero. Right. And we can say that she does choose in some sense, but she still falls into the chosen girl trope. Yeah. Um... You know, I think other people have done it better, but I think that book is very good. Hmm. Shall we jump into Why Must It Be's? I don't really have one yet. Well, how about I go into mine? You go into yours, and then you'll probably inspire me in anger. (laughs) So, my Why Must It Be. Um, So, a lot of people know about the video game Bioshock. Um, There's two, there's basically been two Bioshocks, right? The first one, it's a first-person shooter... Um, sat in sort of a dystopian alternate history. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one was basically a, a built underwater, you know, a city under the sea. And the most recent one, uh, Bioshock Infinite, was basically a flying city in the sky. And so what they kind of did with this one was they said, well, what, you know, first of all, what would happen if libertarians made it through, oh, right? Oh, shit. Yeah. Okay, okay. So already, like, I could see that being, you know, it's like, Libertarians is already dystopic by its I nature. remember. I remember this. But now, so so the games were, you know, the second game was really problematic because yes. it tried to, it poorly tried to deal with race. Yes. Which because is... Because it was like brown people were oppressed. Right. And treated like shit. But when they got free, it was like implied that fighting against racism was as evil as, as racism. racism. Right. Yeah. And like it turned into it turned into the white supremacist like projection of racial holy. War. It was basically your why must it be from last week where they're like both sides. But but here's the part that I'm going to complain about because it's the guy who made it, Ken Levine. Someone was asking him about um, one of the background characters, right? Uh-huh. Like one of the characters, and he was trying to explain. That one of the characters um, who basically made all these horrific bio experiments um, was 
an autistic woman who survived the Holocaust. Oh. And that because, now, now, he tried to say because she was autistic, she didn't realize she was helping the Nazis do genetic, or, or she didn't care. That she had no empathy. She oh, was just like, I, no. if you're going to do horrible experiments, do them efficiently. And I'm like, what oh, in the no. fuck went through your head? Like, the, like what I said about the racist superhero thing, where it's like, we want to say white supremacy is bad, but we'd rather blame the Jews for it. Yeah. Like, that's what I feel is happening, right? I'm sort of like, and on top of it, the idea that autistic people have, have no, no empathy. empathy. It's just, uh, that's like, okay. it's like there's so many layers of fucked up with it, right? Well, and what's worse is there's so many layers of fucked up that could have been cleared up by a simple Google search. Like, a simple Google search. You didn't even have to do research to find out you were on the wrong fucked up track with that. Well, I mean, here's the thing that I'm like, okay, when you're 12, you think of convoluted characters all the time, because yeah. what if they're this, and this, and this, and this, right? But when you're an adult, I just don't see why you're doing this. Like, why? Why did this person have to be all these things to justify why they did these experiments, right? And, like, the thing is, like, if you wanted to bring in history, you can look up eugenics, and guess what you'll find? Yeah. You know, most of the people were not, they were not marginalized or out in, you know, they were not put in some weird position. They were probably people with power who had a pretty damn mainstream life, and then they did horrific shit because they justified it to themselves. You know, that's it. Like, yeah. so. That's all you've got there. Right. It, uh, it's just like, it makes me rage because it's just like, like, Everyone who kept trying to defend these games are like, well, but, you know, it's not really about race. Well, it's not really. And it's like all these people do is keep opening their mouths and showing you, nope, they were really fucked up. When will you believe it? You know, when will you finally accept that this person is fucked up, they're operating on a fucked up logic, and the game can be fun or whatever, but understand that's racist bullshit and also ableist bullshit now, too. Like, Well, it's also like um, how many times... How many times does this person have to fuck up before you get it? Yeah. How many times, how many mistakes, how many chances does this person get as opposed to a woman of color or a queer person or a brown person who makes one mistake and is immediately vilified and thrown from the community? Right. Like, and so in what ways does this person get 50 fucking chances? Yeah. To abuse the rest of us. Right. Why do they get and so many like, chances? It's like, then he tried to make some sort of clarification, and I read it, and it still was like, nope, that's still fucked up. Right? Yeah. Like, it was still, it was, some, it was like some backward-ass bullshit that was like, nope, that doesn't excuse anything you said. I mean, and first off, what you said was so deeply fucked up, there's not really a way to justify it, right? This wasn't like one of those things where you're like, oh, I could see how I could read it differently. Nope. You just, like, why? Like, I'm already, like, and, you know, this was the thing when I saw it. I said, yeah, there's stories we could talk about in terms of, um, in terms of, like, oppressed people becoming collaborators. Yes, that's a story we can tell. That's, but, that's but a this, very interesting story that can be talked about. But this isn't it, no. right? Like, this Ooh. is not it. And those stories of collaborators are really hard to talk about. Like, they're really ugly and really complicated. They're really ugly and really complicated. Especially when you talk about, like, 
I mean, collaboration at all is an ugly subject. Right. Um, and, you know, people want to, I think, a lot of times frame collaborators as these horrible people who sold out everyone and did this on purpose and had no soul and had no empathy. But when you look at so many stories of collaborators, it's people who really felt like they had no choice right. but to do this if they were going to survive on their own. Right, or maybe they thought they could they could limit how they bad could limit how bad the shit was going to be. Yeah. Um. So yeah, which no. is why it's really complicated and ugly. You yeah. Know? And half the time, like collaborators might have been like people within you know subgroups within the oppressed group fighting each other. Exactly. You know, well, if it's my group or their group, fuck them. They did this to us, so I'm going to be in charge and screw them over worse. And you know, that's an ugly side, but that's yeah. also more complicated than. You're magically without empathy, and your autism forces you to help the Nazis to do things more efficiently? What the fuck? Like, that makes... Ugh. That makes no fucking sense. And it's so... It's disappointing on so many levels. Yeah, and it's just the fact that, you know, I look at the fans like, so when is when is this going to be clear to you? You know? It's like Orson Scott Card or, or Frank Miller. It's like, when is it clear to you? When do you, when do you just accept their shit? Well, you know. It- <laughs> And here's the thing. I'm not even saying to stop reading those people. I think we say this a lot. Don't even stop reading or watching those people if you love them. Just be open to critiquing them. Frank Miller did Martha Washington. He did. In my opinion, it's the one great thing he's done in his life. It's fantastic. Um, I will continue to read Martha Washington. The rest of his stuff, not so much. Right. Um, you know, even... In, even a broken clock is right twice a day. Like, yeah. but I mean, I enjoyed Ender's Game. But, exactly, you know, hey, love that, right? But yeah, the rest of it. I mean, I actually read a lot of Orson's God Card until we got to um, Songmaster. Why was that the one that came to my mind? Because <laughs> you knew so horrible. Because I read that one at a certain age, and I was like, you know. I'm not completely sure about sexuality and stuff. But I'm pretty but sure. I'm pretty sure this is fucked up. <laughs> like, I think I read it at, like, 12 or something, Ooh. and I was just like, you know, I may not know a lot, but I know this is not good. Right. And that was when I stopped reading Orson Scott Card. Um, I feel like I read a lot of stuff when I was very young. Right. Um, I think I read Ender's Game when I was, like, 10. Yeah. But I think that's maybe the age you read it at. Yeah, I think I think I think that's maybe the not. kind of you know between that to thirteen, you know, yeah, it's that yeah. young. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I read the Alvin Maker series for a while. I read I read Ender's Game series for a while. I read the Shadow series, which followed B. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, we all make choices. Uh, but yeah, it's just like, uh. <laughs> um, did you come up with a why must it be? I think I just did in this last second. Awesome. Um, so, I, and when, when talking about Orson Scott Card and talking, right? He's so just, easy to but it's not, read. It's not, it's a, well, it's not actually a read on Orson Scott Card, although, you know, I wish it was. But my way must it be, um, it was inspired by that, because I was thinking about how Orson Scott Card has all these series that go on and on and on. Yeah. And people keep buying them in hardcover, and that's that's fine. Do your thing. Buy buy that series. But the way that people who read uh, who read Mercedes Lackey, uh-huh. 
or women who have fantasy or Anne McCaffrey at, are shamed mm. for liking those series. Mm. Now, I, you know, I, I, we, we can have a discussion about Mercedes Lackey and a discussion about Anne McCaffrey, and those are complex discussions that deal with a lot of gender and sexuality and a whole bunch of shit. Yes. Mercedes Lackey likes to kill her queers, and McCaffrey doesn't like them to exist. There's some stuff to discuss. But, she none needs, of she those... She pegs to create hormones. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the tent peg theory is still my favorite. I tell that at every conference I go to. Um, but, don't act like these series by Orson Scott Card or um, David Weber which is not a read on David Weber to compare him to that. I love David Weber. That's not me saying he's like OSC. But just the way the fandom, or the people treat fans. Yeah, the people things. treat fans of those, in a, or Louis McMaster Bajold. Mm-hmm. The, pe- the way that people differentiate between the fans of her science fiction space opera series and her fantasy series, as if one is lesser than the other. And maybe that's what I'm really talking about here, is the, is the separation between fantasy and science fiction. I think that we tend... I don't know, I think it's definitely gendered. No, I think it's definitely gendered, but on top of that, I think that there's a layer of... Um, hmm. You know what? What I want to say is not what I'm going to say right now. Okay. Um, but what I'm going to say is that, it, yeah, it is very gendered. I think that... Female fans of female authors. I mean, look at the Kim Harrison series. Mm. I definitely think there's genre stuff that comes into this around fantasy and urban fantasy, not especially yeah. urban fantasy not being a respected subgenre. Right. Um, I think that you've had authors talk about how they used to get nominated for awards for their short stories until they wrote an urban fantasy series, and then uh. all of a sudden they weren't getting nominated anymore. Huh. Now, I think that a lot of that has to do with urban fantasy being viewed as a genre that is for and by women, quote-unquote, mm-hmm. um, which is a ridiculous fucking thing. But there's always the exception, right? Jim Butcher. Well, I'm um, also thinking stuff like like we mentioned, the Shadowrun, Shadowrun games, right? Shadowrun games, um, yeah. The Shadowrun, uh, I'm trying to think what else, because I know there's been a bunch of sort of just like, I mean, half the damn superhero shit is basically urban fantasy, right? Exactly. Blade. But, you, get, you know, like... But it doesn't get half the flack, I think, that, you know, Kim Harrison or, um, or Jocelyn Drake or any of um, those authors do. Kelly Gay, um, who's fantastic, by the way, um, I think. Mm-hmm. All these writers of urban fantasy, they get really a lot of hate. And a lot of it has to do around their women. It's the same critique that comes around, like, their characters being, quote-unquote, Mary Sue's. Right. Whereas, there are some... I'm not gonna name names. There's so many dude characters. There's so many popular dude character series and trilogies where the man is nothing but a Marty Stew. Yeah. Like, Cockmick Strokoff. Cockmick Strokoff, who's the best at sex and the best at Rex. He's just the best at everything in the world. Yeah. He will beat your ass in both ways, really. And I just... No one critiques those books in the same way that they critique these books by female authors. Right. And it just drives me fucking crazy. The right. shame that... The, the critique of the authors and the shame that's centered around the people who happen to be fans of them. 
Yeah. And I think you see it happen with um, a lot of authors. You, I, I'll critique a lot of authors, but you see it happen around the fan, people who are fans of um, Sean and McGuire. Yeah. Where, you know, she gets a lot of critique for not being, like, a quote-unquote true author. Right. For whatever reason or whatever that means. Right. Um, whereas people, those same people, will whine and moan about how Jim Butcher is the best writer to ever put pen to the page, and why isn't he nominated for something? I read the Dresden Files series for quite a while. I'm not going, I'm not coming down on it. But, there's nothing inherently better in that series at all right. than these other series they critique for being nothing more than fluff. Right. Um, Carrie Vaughn series, Patricia Briggs series, um, there are critiques that we can have within all of these series. There are critiques I have for Patricia Briggs series around the mixed race main character, which I don't think is done well. Right. You know. But but the fact is that basically these views that people are having are not based on critiques. No, they're because based. If it was, they would have to have some really hard shit about all these other dude stuff that they're pushing. All this other dude stuff that they're pushing hard. Like, the way people complained, I actually watched the Dresden File TV series. Uh-huh. And I enjoyed it. I think it's still on the Netflix. Um, as something that was interesting in a fun little show. The way people lost their shit when some of those characters from the book were turned into people of color. The way people lost it when Murphy all of a sudden was not blonde-haired and blue-eyed white girl anymore, but instead was a Latina. And the way that Morgan... Yeah, it was just... It was ridiculous to me. That they were having this huge, like, fucking losing their shit over this people of color casting. Right. But then it made perfect sense. Right? Yeah. Because people who've read the series, they don't want to say that's what it's about. Yeah. But it's about about the fact that Dresden and Murphy seem to be headed to ending up together. Right. And they wouldn't want their precious Dresden to end up with a woman of color. Well... I mean, in a world of magic and werewolves and vampires, miscegenation is still an everlasting threat. <laughs> well, H.P. Lovecraft told us that, right? Like, I mean, that's basically the logic. I mean, I think that's another fuck. That's a whole other episode we can do on miscegenation and fantasy. Right. And specifically how it either grants huge amounts of power or makes the person crazy in some way. Right. Instead of ha- happening to just be something. Like, right. maybe that person is just mixed, and maybe they're super powerful, but they're super powerful not because they're mixed, but because of something else. Right. Like, okay, I, I'm, I'm going to mix all my Why Must It Be's together into one boil, pot, boiling pot of rage, so let's not do that. 20 times as powerful. 20 times, times as deadly. deadly. Yes. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the way that fandoms of major, majority female authors and some subgenres like urban fantasy are treated in the larger fandom is just ridiculous. Right. They're treated as not true fans. They're treated... And, you know, we're all guilty of being exclusionary at one time or another. Right. But the fact of the matter is that everyone's subgenre and everyone's author can be open to critique. Right. And to critique something just by because it's written by women or because you think the cover is softer or because, you know, this happens to involve... Um, Psychic animals. There's an age for psychic animals. At the age I am now, I might say, no, I don't want no psychic animals in well, my fiction. given how but, many people grew up on fucking Pokemon now, right? people need to shut up. Right? right? 
Like, they may not be psychic, but they're damn well close. Right? And, and there's a place for that in, I think, especially in a in our childhoods and in our teen years. Right. There's definitely a place for, like, people who feel that connection with animals, especially when you're an awkward teenager who doesn't feel that connection. To people. To people. Yeah. Like, there's definitely a place for that. Um, so, yeah. Respect other people. Don't be an asshole. I feel like that's the summary of most of our Why Must It Be's. Well, yeah. <laughs> it's because we set the bar so low and people manage to dive. Like, they dig through, like, granite to get below it, right? No, It's sad. Alright, so, um... Yay. yay! Email at Yellow Sun. Um, nope. Wrong. Or not Yellow Sun. Yeah, <laughs> Sorry, I got a different screen name. Yellowperil.magicalnegro at gmail. And, uh... And our next episode is going to be on queers in fantasy. Alright. And we're using queer as uh, an umbrella term for LGBTQIA-identified people. Yay! Um... So yeah, that's going to be a fascinating topic. If you have anyone you want us to try and cover, you know, shoot us an email at the aforementioned email, yellowperil.magicalnegro at gmail.com. And um, we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Catch you later.